Hello, ladies and gentlemen, Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I've got Seth Barner on the line. Seth is a current client of mine, and we dive deep into the world of eating disorders, disordered eating, food addiction, other addictions, all that that entails. And it's interesting because if, if y'all follow along with my story at any length, you know that I've definitely battled with disordered eating at some points in my past. He is currently going through uh, disordered eating, and we just dive into what's going on from a psychological standpoint, from a physiological standpoint, how this is impacting our day-to-day life, our relationships, how to overcome it, how to beat it, how to learn from it, how to make it sustainable, how to make life better and and just get through it. And I really, really enjoyed this conversation. We we dove deep into the mindset of, of why we do what we do. And I feel like this is going to be a very informative episode for y'all, whether you're struggling with eating disorders or not, um, because everybody's got things in their life that they struggle with. And we, we talked about many things that transcend just disordered eating as a standalone. So without further ado, sit back, relax, enjoy the conversation with Seth. You're live. Seth, how are you, brother? I'm doing great, Robert. How's your morning? Pretty good, man. I cannot complain. I'm happy to have you on. We, just to give people some context, you are a client of mine, and we've we've dove deep into lots of different things. Um, so I, I don't want to introduce you, though. I want you to introduce yourself. Kind of give, give the listeners a little background as to who you are, and then I guess we can kind of set the stage as to what we're going to be diving into here. Sure. Yeah. So I, I know we've worked together for a little bit now and uh, I apologize if there's background noise. Um, so I'd say, I guess it's been, I don't know, three or four months we've been working together. But mm-hmm. prior to that, I had been through, I don't know, five or six different coaches. Um, so basically I've dealt with binge eating um, off and on for probably about the past 12 years, I'm 32 now. And I don't like to classify my life by binge eating, but that's in the context of our relationship. That's, I know, what led me to work with you originally. So I would say I've, fitness has always been something that I've valued highly and health and nutrition ever since college. Mm-hmm. And while that was at one point a, a I guess, extreme passion of mine, it, it, it became on the, on the opposite end of the spectrum, an extreme struggle um, through binge eating. And I feel like I've been through every possible coach, every possible technique, every possible, I don't know, every possible program out there regarding this. And through it, I've been able to learn a lot. I've been able to help some other people with it. And it's still something that I would never say I'm, I'm perfectly on the other side of. Um, but just in the, since you and I have started working together, uh, I've learned a lot about myself, especially in how keto has been extremely helpful for me personally. Um, but just a lot around the mindset behind binge eating mm-hmm. as well as, uh, just really how that affects every area of my life. That's a little bit of a scrambled summary, but yeah, that's no, where we are now. I think, I think like I was really motivated to get you on the podcast because when I first started putting out, actually it wasn't when I first started putting out content, but when I had been putting out content for quite some time. I made this like my story part one and part two video series that gained a lot of momentum and people really appreciated just the brutal honesty I shared because I talked about the eating disorders that I had struggled with in that. And I feel like 
once I became open about that, that was one of the best things that kind of helped me gain some momentum and break free of my disordered eating. And like you, I mean, you, you kind of are still in this, this ever, ever changing process of figuring out what's going to be the best thing for you. So I kind of wanted to give you this opportunity to just get your story out there because I feel like having, for whatever reason, just simply talking about it and knowing that other people know, even if they never interact with you, just simply knowing that other people know seems to have this weird, you know, pulse on, on just fixing it. And that, I mean, whether it fixes it or not, I wanted it to, to give it a try because I feel like you can offer a ton of value because so many people are going through what you have gone through and are currently going through. And I feel like you have a great story and a great great feel for how it's impacted your life that a lot of people can relate to. So I just kind of wanted to give you that opportunity to share that story. Yeah, absolutely. I And first of all, I, I really appreciate this opportunity to do this because I've, I've have found in other areas that being able to verbalize something, especially even in just our phone calls, being able to verbalize something, sometimes you find your own answer through doing that, the answer that you thought you didn't have, but you did, you just couldn't get it out. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember very specifically when I first, I remember exactly where I was when I first started listening to your podcast. And I was like, I need to hear this guy's story because I've heard, I, I heard you reference it in your podcast. And that was the first thing I did is like dive into YouTube and find that my story part one and two. And so I remember listening to that and at that moment thinking I, at some point, would like to do something like that. And I think that this is great because it allows me to share that and not procrastinate in doing it. So I guess, so as far as the, the binge eating is concerned, so I guess that started about, yeah, a, quite a while ago when I was in my senior year of college, I was really into running. Mm -hmm. uh, I was training for marathons. Running was my life. It was my identity. And I got injured um, in a marathon and was unable to was unable to run or bike for six months. And so I went from having all those endorphins every day from those runs that runners high, as they call it, to not being able to do anything. And it started with uh, just I remember one night just going downstairs and my, I lived in a house with like four other guys, went downstairs and in the middle of the night started eating some peanut butter out of the jar mm -hmm. and just did not stop. I just kept going and woke up the next day, felt awful, had no idea why I did that. Um, and then proceeded to do it the next night and the next night and the next night. And it eventually got to a point where I just, it was so contradictory to the person I was and it, it really tore me apart. I had no idea why I was doing this. And I remember it got to the point where even if, if I would not buy peanut butter for myself, I would even, <laughs> I would even take my roommate's peanut butters and then replace it, uh, the next day. And so it was like this, it consumed my life And ever since then. So I ended up gaining, I think 60 pounds in about four months mm -hmm. and I stuck, I, I, over about the next year, I was able to lose most of that just through, I think I did like P90X and just ran a lot uh, once I was able to run again. But the the binging never really, it went away a little bit. It would go away and it would come back and go in, come back. And it would always kind of resurface. And so it caused me to consistently lose like the same 10 to 15 pounds year after year. I would have bouts where I thought I had figured it out. I thought I had found the the solution 
and I would read all kinds of books and every, every personal development book I read, it was always filtered through the lens of my eating disorder. And it was always like, okay, well, this is a great business principle, but how, but I'm only thinking of it as how I can overcome this challenge. Cause it always seemed to be, it wasn't just the binging itself. It was how much I thought about food. It was a 24 seven thing. It was just it mentally draining. Even the days that I did not binge eat, it was, it just, it took over every thought I had. And it was always the, it was always kind of like the wall that stood between myself and the goals that I was actually passionate about. I've, I've been passionate about coaching others, about uh, building a business, about all kinds of things, about pushing myself physically. Um, I don't, don't really run, run anymore, but just enjoy lifting and things like that. But I think that I've, I've dove into so many books um, regarding binge eating. I, I read a book called Brain Over Binge that I guess this was maybe like four or five years ago and thought it was really interesting. Um, and I understood it conceptually, but every time I tried to implement it, it seemed like there was a disconnect, which drove my confidence down even more because I think that is the most frustrating aspect of what I would now label as feeling addicted to food is that you, you know, so much about nutrition. Like I could, I've helped other people. I have helped people lose plenty of weight before um, coaching people for free and things like that. Cause I know what to do, but there's always that disconnect of knowing and doing. And that part of you that feels like it just takes over in the moment. And I think that's the most frustrating aspect of it. Uh, and then to kind of fast forward to you and I working together recently, I think what has transpired for me most clearly is that I know what I know what works for me now, which is just abstinence from basically most processed foods. It was always sugar, or like you know, ice cream, cookies, pastries, those kinds of things. Um, so when I'm absent from that and I embrace that lifestyle. I love how I feel. I have no issues, but I think I have gotten in my head too much and I've questioned myself and thought, well, maybe there's a better way or maybe this person's right. And so like you and I have talked about a lot, there's this whole debate out there between moderation and abstinence and certain people think the people that think they're addicted aren't really addicted and they're fooling themselves and that, you know, they just need to learn how to moderate and then vice versa on the other side. And so I think my desire not to put myself in one camp has led me to not take a stand for myself in any, in any of those camps and always hopping between them, which just like any, you know, shiny object syndrome, not taking a stance is taking a stance in itself. Mm -hmm. And so now I feel I'm at this point where living a mostly ketogenic lifestyle on whole foods is definitely the path I know that works for me. And so kind of planting my flag with that, not out of arrogance, but out of just knowing that this is what works best for me and accepting that and accepting that different things work for different people. I'm feeling right now is the, is the best path forward. I love it, man. I feel like, you know, in working with you for the past few months, you've, I mean, you, you've honestly made me a better coach because it's it's brought back that perspective that I probably just by default lost touch with because, I mean, 
I struggled with eating disorders super bad several years ago, but then I've pretty much recovered from that for the most part. I, I haven't really had any relapses. And after you go several years without really having that, that you know, intimate connection with it happening on a regular basis, you just lose, you forget about it. You forget how much of an impact it has on your day-to-day life. And then in talking with you, like whenever you fall off or you do something that you beat yourself up about, we jump on a call and we start talking and you describe it, I am immediately brought back to what my day-to-day was like and like the World War III that was constantly raging in my own head with regard to my battle with food and having that perspective regained and just in more clarity makes me understand the importance of this with an even you know greater degree of accuracy and just importance and significance and I feel like some like people that have never dealt with an eating disorder and there are many people out there that never have I feel like humans are, are subject to some form of addiction and that form of addiction is is varied greatly between different humans but I feel like with regard to food addiction if you've never experienced it it's hard to relate with people that are going through it but it's it's a whole another kind of beast because you got to have food to live you can't just abstain from food so you have to be really specific on the types of food the timing of the food the the environment in which you eat the food like there's so many factors at play that you have to get figured out because you gotta have it and it's been interesting for me it's been very enlightful enlightening to me to see you go through these different chapters and figure out what your body and mind respond best to yeah yeah no i i totally agree with what you said about um about kind of once you're out of that mindset and you're kind of past it you kind of forget what it's like and because I've, I've been in that position myself, and for one reason or another, I think my desire to coach other people around this eventually kind of got me in my own head about it. And I thought, well, I need to be able to, I need to be able to relate to all kinds of people. So I know a ketogenic lifestyle works for me. I know cutting out processed foods and creating that clear divide works for me, but maybe I need to get my head back in that space of where I was at my worst so that I can relate and remember how it actually felt, which doesn't make any sense saying it out loud, (laughs) but in the moment when you're in your head about things and you start to question, um, I think that is, it feels like you're two different people. And I think that's the, that's the kicker to it is making it the goal to get back to where you're just of one mind and I found that for me that it's it's very easy to draw that. I, I know people say that you you have to eat food, and so you know food addiction is tough because of that. And I can understand that, but I also feel that for me, there's ever since I, I did um I did like a 30 day reset years ago where I cut out all processed foods, like grains and things like that. And I remember the first time I did that, I was able to very clearly see there's such a difference in the way like real food hits your brain versus, you know, treats or sweets, mm-hmm. however, whatever you want to call it. And so I think seeing that divide um, made it very easy for me to distinguish between those two things. Um, but again, it's just that getting back to that place of, of kind of getting out of my own head and committing to committing to action versus trying to commit to like the perfect technique and like the perfect thought process um, I think there's a, because there's a lot of approaches out there that are very, 
mind-based and I understand it and they maybe they work for some people. Like you said, there's different people have dealt with different levels of this, I think. But I think for someone like myself who tends to very easily overthink things, mm -hmm. um, the less thinking that's involved, the better. Yeah, I think I think that is a huge realization because well, actually, let's back up. I, I want to just paint the pitch for people that may not be able to relate as to what this even looks like because they may be hearing this in like, what what the heck is a food addiction in the first place? Like, what is a disordered eating? If they have never dealt with it, they just don't comprehend, can't wrap their head around it. And they, I can't really expect them to with us, you know, laying down a few sentences to describe it. But I feel like just for the, for illustrative purposes alone, like what for you personally is gnawing in your mind when you're going through, like when you're, when you wake up in the middle of the night and you're like in the, in, in the kitchen, you get the refrigerator yeah. door open, the pantry door open, you're looking at all the options, you get a jar of peanut butter in your hand. Like what are the thoughts going on in your mind right now as to whether or not you should open that up and dive in? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So for me personally, first I would preface this by saying that all of everything that I would say can be explained in a scientific ex explanation of what parts of your brain are, are lit up and, you know, your primal brain versus your conscious brain. And people can explain this very well, but in the moment, even though you know those things, there's such a, it feels like there's such a strong compulsion to eat and not just eat, but eat large quantities of usually things that are high in sugar and fat. Mm -hmm. So like ice cream, um, it, it feels like an overwhelming urge to the point where like your conscious rational thoughts are kind of turned down. Like you, you know that what you're doing is not something that you want to do, but at the same time, you, you feel like you need to do it and you can't in that moment see a reason not to continue. Like, you know, you're going to feel awful after, you know, that you'd be so much happier if you just didn't follow through, but it's such a rushed and like, I don't like to use the word numbing, but it's, it's very, um, overtaking um, and very consuming that it feels like it's a need in that moment to the point where even though there's a part of you that feels like this is ruining your entire life, it's ruining your focus. And you know that if you were to stop giving into these urges that you're having, that they eventually would go away and you know all these things, but in that moment, it feels so over consuming and that the supernormal pleasure of that food it trumps any reasoning that you're that you have in your mind because you're just not able to think clearly. And I think the other side of that is that there's a difference between eating, you know, three or four pints of ice cream and eating two scoops of ice cream and the way that hits your brain. And mm -hmm. I think that that's where a lot of people I think maybe don't realize that when you're using food as a drug like that, you're using it in much larger quantities, just like, you know, a glass of wine is not going to hit your brain the same as five or six glasses of wine, you know, that are consumed within 30 minutes. And so I think once somebody is at a point where they've used food as a drug to try to have it in moderation, it's almost just like a tease for what you really want, which is to what I've heard someone say, and I feel it's pretty accurate is to quote unquote, get high on food. And so in the moment, that's what it feels like. It feels like it's just an overwhelming 
all-consuming desire that goes against everything, pretty much every value that you stand for as a person. But yet at the same time, there's a part of you that enjoys it to a point where it, it supersedes any other rational desire. I'm trying to like think of a good analogy as we're, as we're talking here. And the only thing that comes to mind is, you know, similar to how we need food, we are biologically, you know, evolved to, to want to procreate, have sex and procreate. And I feel like this is similar to, you know, having like an affair because you know, every reasonable part of your brain is telling you that this is not a wise move. This affair is not a good thing. I should be faithful. But in the moment, like if both members are aroused, it's going to be very hard. Like that's like akin to you being right there in the refrigerator door with this food in your hand. Like, what are you going to do? Like, it's very hard to say no at that point. So like you need to, to create these boundaries long before you ever even get to that point. Absolutely. Yep. That's, that's a hundred percent. It, it's, it feels like you're, feels like you're having an affair with the, with the real version of yourself. And it's like you, you're, you are of two minds and these two minds compete for your interests. I heard, um, I know we've talked about Jordan Peterson a little bit lately. I know he's described addiction as, as an entire personality because that's, that's really what it is. It's not in, in some ways it's an extremely bad habit, but the act, the actual consumption of the food is the strongest part of the habit. But then every hour leading up to that consumption from the second I wake up in the morning and just the small idea in my head of, well, maybe this evening we'll, we'll drive to the store and have something. But then there's the, the counter thought of, no, I don't want to do that. Even those thoughts, even that debate in your brain becomes ingrained as part of the whole um, addiction. Whereas like you become addicted to, the thoughts that lead to the consumption, even if that thought is, I'm not going to have this today. Eventually that thought of, I'm not going to do this today becomes paired with doing it because you've broken it so many times. And it eventually, it, it just takes over your entire life. Whereas everything you're doing, um, just like I've heard it described in alcohol addiction as well, everything you're doing is centered around getting that food at some point. If you're with other people, you're thinking about what, how, how am I going to, get whatever substance it is, whatever food it is after I leave this group of people or after I get off work or after I do this, everything is, it's like your aim is getting that substance. Yeah. That, that's a really good point. Cause I, I don't feel, I feel like people that have no perception of this don't recognize the, the length and the amount of time spent fixating on the food or whatever the addiction may be. Because like when I rewind back to when I was struggling with it, I mean, I would spend literally all day thinking about a specific meal that I was going to have at some point far into the future. And when you're when you're in that state, you it's impossible. I mean, by definition, you are not being present. And because of that, your quality of life in the moment is diminished. Your relationships suffer. You you just have like this waxy glossed over look and nothing is as pure and pristine as it should be because you are living for a moment in the future that you inherently know is not going to be fulfilling in any true sense of the word. It's going to be a high, but not a like a, a true, legitimate, fulfilled high. And you know that you're going to beat yourself up for it afterwards, yet you do it anyways. And that is this really strange negative feedback loop that drives so much of our behavior, but is so hard to fix and, and correct course on. 
hundred percent. Yeah, it's it's that fixation. And then the thing is, is that I don't like to pretend that it's not in any way pleasurable because it is pleasurable. But the it's because you know these foods obviously they're not things that are found in nature, and they're in concentrations that aren't found in nature. So they stimulate our brain's reward system at a very high level. But it's it's the consequences that are the problem. And when you're in the moment of thinking about the pleasure of that food, even if you don't want to think about it, when that thought enters your head, there's that dopamine rush of just the anticipation of getting that. And that in itself is almost, it's just as strong as the pleasure of actually eating the food itself. And so that dopamine hits as soon as that thought even enters your mind and that it, it feels like there's a point where that side of you kind of takes over and you, you get so tired of fighting it that you eventually just let it win. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's where it gets, it's tough to explain to somebody who has never experienced it. Um, I know people have, ex- there's another side of it where people have, I know, been obsessed with eating extremely healthy foods and, you know, they, they have foods that are, good or bad and that that's something that when somebody tells them hey like you're allowed to have a snickers bar and it's not going to blow your calories maybe that person feels free because now they can have those foods that they thought they couldn't have whereas someone who struggles with binge eating at least to the degree that i have that i know that you know i could fit it into my macros so to speak but to do that would would be like kind of i've like taking the tiger out of the cage, so yeah. to speak. Um, yeah, it's uh once once you unleash the kraken, so to speak, you you definitely like all holds are. Bar- I mean, you you lose complete and utter control. Like everything is just floodgates are open. I mean, there it, it's weird because the and a lot of people are like, you know what? You, you get your ketones dialed in, you get your hormones regulated with a properly implemented ketogenic diet, and then your hunger hormones tell you when to stop eating. And that just oftentimes is not the case if you have disordered eating because there's like a whole nother, you know, shift that occurs psychologically, and there literally is seemingly no release of that, you know, leptin, ghrelin, everything's just out of whack, and you can eat ad nauseum, I mean, just mainline foods that, seems just inhuman to be able to consume amounts in but you're able to do it and it's 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 weird because then you start to almost crave that feeling of just over consumption and fullness and that's obviously not a you know performance in i mean that that inhibits performance quite profoundly so you don't really want that from an optimization standpoint but for whatever reason you start to crave that just feeling of just over over consumption which is a weird uh, sensation in itself and then the moment you you know that you're teetering on the edge and then you give in and you overconsume, it takes a massive hit on your self-confidence because then you feel like you're too weak like how how weak am I I can't even control the food that I put in my own mouth like I start having these conversations with myself and then when you have that lack of confidence in who you are it becomes exponentially easier to fail and falter a second, third, fourth time. And then it just becomes this continually compounding negative feedback loop. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that's spot on because, you know, there's definitely been times where I know I'll say this. I know for a lot of people that get into binge eating, it, 
stems from maybe they had a really restrictive diet at some point and they weren't eating enough calories. And so if you're not eating enough calories, it's going to be way easier to binge. And then a lot of those people, they find they start eating foods that actually fill them up, you know, like steak and things like that. And that desire to binge kind of goes away because they're actually getting enough nutrients. Mm -hmm. Whereas for me, I could eat, you know, I could eat a 16 ounce ribeye and still have that desire to, it's not always the desire to binge, but just the desire to eat some hyper palatable food, like some, you know, ice cream or, you know, something high in sugar, fat and salt after that, even if it's keto ice cream, you know, it still hits my brain the same way. Mm -hmm. Um, so I could still have that same desire regardless of how much I've eaten because it's, it's not about hunger. It's about that reward and that, that overwhelming pleasure that, um, that high of the food that I'm, that I'm kind of seeking out. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, man. I feel like, you know, if somebody is, is chronically under eating and they're struggling with disordered eating, I feel like, you know, first and foremost, they got to intake enough calories so that they can at least meet their, you know, mineral and nutrient needs. That's going to help immensely. You know, that that's step one for anybody that's disord- having disordered eating as a result of chronically under eating. Um, so they got to get that in check first. If they're eating adequate amount of food and nutrients and they're still having the disordered eating, then it becomes much more of a, you're able to kind of like know that it's not a physiological issue so much as it is a psychological issue and then we can kind of address it in a much different manner. Yep, a thousand percent. The, I think the difference that I've found is that a lot of people talk about restriction with, oh, you know, you need to allow these foods, that's why you're binging on them because you're restricting them from yourself. But I think that for me, when when you tell somebody who feels truly addicted to food, and by the way, I don't whatever labels people want to use is fine. But I just, I think the subjective experience is what's most important. Like you can tell me what you want to call it, whether you think food addiction is a real thing or not, or whether someone says it, but I know what I've experienced and I know what other people have experienced as well. And I know even knowing as much as I do just to still have that subjective experience ultimately is what I think is most important. But if someone, the idea for me of never having those hyperpalatable foods again is extremely freeing on one hand. Like there's a part of me that there's a part of me that does, you know, kind of feel like I'm maybe going to have some cravings for a little while, but the idea of never having to even think about them again, that feels so freeing. Whereas for someone who maybe just, I think is dealing with overeating um, or maybe, you know, eating too strict, uh, maybe like super low fat and I don't know, just pretty much eating salads every meal or something like that maybe that feels restricting to them. Mm-hmm. But I think one person's restriction is another person's freedom. Yeah, I think perception, I mean, your perception is your reality. So, I mean, a lot of these, what works really well for one may not be nearly as applicable to another. Um, so so having the self-awareness really comes into play here because you have to know who you are and what you stand for. And the fact that, I mean, for you personally, the fact that you're also wanting to identify as someone who is a, you know, expert in nutrition, a coach, a trainer, that adds a whole nother dimension of complexity to it because not only do you address things through the lens of what do I need to do that's best for me, but you're also having the weights of how do I need to, you know, illustrate myself in a way that's going to be best for others. And that that just adds a whole nother dimension of, like I said, complexity to the equation here. Yeah, uh, I I know we've talked about this, but it's definitely – 
definitely gets me in my own head about things. And I, you know, I, one day I'm hearing somebody talking about food addiction and, you know, following a, a whole foods based lifestyle and just completely abstaining from those foods and, you know, feeling great doing that. And then the next day I hear somebody else talking about, well, food addiction is not a real thing. And people think they're just addicted, but they really just have to do this. They just have to, you know, not listen to their urges and, or do this or that and use this mental technique. And, and then I think, well, maybe I'm not doing the right thing. So maybe I need to try this and maybe this is the real way and this worked for this person. So, you know, if I have a future client or something that doesn't resonate with the abstinence idea, well, maybe they need to to do this. But I found that if, you know, at least for me, I think it's just what's most important is to find is the process of finding what does work for you. You know, I'm not saying by any means what works for me is going to work for everybody, but I do think that I think it's worth at least, I think there's a good foundation to be had of trying to go for a period without those foods um, just to see, just to uh, kind of know that you don't need them. Um, and I think that's really kind of the, one of the biggest light bulb moments I've had since we've been working together is just the idea of the, the opposite of an addiction is not to, is not even not giving into that addiction, but I think it's being apathetic about it to the point where you don't, you no longer care about those foods as much. So you're not placing such a high emphasis on them because I think to someone, I, I read this in a, in a book a while back and they said to some, to an addicted mind, like the Holy grail is moderation because you think, well, I just want to be able to eat these foods, but not have the consequences of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, if you're self-aware enough to realize that that's the fact that moderation is such a high priority for you is that that's very different from someone who is moderating, like, you know, someone who's moderating, they're not thinking about, Oh, I'm trying to moderate. It's just, they could take it or leave it. If you told someone that, you know, has no issues with eating, uh, you know, ice cream or cake or cookies that they can never have it again, they'd, they'd probably be kind of down about it, but they, I don't think they would, I don't know. It probably wouldn't affect them as much as somebody who has an addiction to those things and feels like, you know, that's their, in one sense that that's everything that they're striving for. It's, it's kind of like just, it's aiming at a very, um, superficial target that really shouldn't be given that much attention. hundred percent, man. I feel like, I feel like, um, there's a lot of different ways we could take this, but I feel like there, the human mind does not respond well in the context of feeling deprived or of sacrificing something like we don't like to give things up. We like to have our cake and eat it too, so to speak. And when we realize that if we try to overcome an addiction by simply removing it and not replacing it, then we're going to constantly feel like we're sacrificing and that we're deprived. And that constant nagging feeling is going to have us fester on the thoughts of that thing that we feel deprived of. And that's just going to result in us binging on whatever that thing is. Um, and I'm kind, is, of, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, chain, I mean, I, I don't pretend to be an expert in this by any means, but this is what I've noticed, uh, through my own personal you know, journey. Um, but I feel like for me, what's been incredibly impactful is recognizing that by removing the things, i.e., you know, carbs, heavily processed foods, I'm not really sacrificing anything of value 
because the importance and significance of those isn't really even that great. Um, I mean, if I was to think as a performance athlete, for instance, that my performance, which is the you know highest goal, is going to be hindered by not having carbohydrates, yet I'm struggling with this addiction to carbohydrates, that would be a very you know, depressing thought. That would be a very discouraging realization. But once I came to the conclusion that, hey, look, I cannot have carbohydrates, processed foods, and that's not going to result in a net negative to my performance, that was very liberating because then I was able to double down on the things that I, I felt confident would improve my overall performance. And because I was able to double down on those, I no longer felt like I was sacrificing or being deprived. I, I appreciated the confidence gained in knowing that I was only going to get closer to my performance goals by removing that uh, addiction, that outweighed the temporary thought of feeling like I was sacrificing something. Does that make sense? That makes total sense. And that, that is spot on. That's, I think that's the best way to say it is that, you know, you're, you're replacing it with something else because it's, uh, I keep referencing Jordan Peterson, of course, but you know, he talks about aiming up and, Mm -hmm when you're addicted, your, your aim is, your aim is at not doing something. Your aim is at, and I feel like when any, anytime you aim at not doing something, you just focus on doing that thing more, which drives you deeper into it. And you don't know why you keep going into it when the only thing you're trying to do is not do it. But when you completely change a lifestyle, it's like putting on an entirely new lens. Um, it's almost like, I remember hearing a, a podcast about um, a, a veteran who lost his sight, um, stepped on an IED and, you know, had to have surgery and almost lost his life. And he no longer could see after that. You know, I, I don't think I'm, I'm sure I can't even imagine how difficult that is. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I remember thinking that, you know, his whole perspective was not thinking about what he couldn't see now. His whole perspective was building a new life with what, with his new state and making an impact in that way. And I think that focusing on the impact that you can make, the genuine, the, the meaningful things, and even one of those genuine meaningful things being eating food that satisfies you and actually makes you feel good, um, you know, breaking bread with friends, the things that you look back on and you remember that that you're glad that you did just putting more of a focus on those things and thinking about how eating in that way is going to support you. Even, you know, putting on muscle in the gym or the things that like I actually care about the things that I truly am passionate about switching that focus is just, it's so much easier and it's so much more enjoyable to embrace something new than to try to constantly push away something that you hate. 100% completely agree. And it's it's funny because there is again there's a lot of different <laughs> a lot of different directions we could take it, but I feel like on that last point you made the like for me personally there was, there was one instance way back uh, when I was really deep into struggling with these eating disorders and I think I may have talked about this on a podcast prior, but I was I was going through this time and I was just fixating on food and I got news that my one of my family members was in the hospital and I I thought about that for a moment, but then my, my thoughts immediately went back to thinking about the next meal. And that was like such an aha moment for me because I realized that 
the the true quality of my life and our relationships is being hindered in a very negative way because of something that is so incredibly unimportant in the grand scheme of things. And that having the negative psychological effect it did, coupled with the fact that it was having physical, uh, you know, detriment from a physical standpoint, it made it that much easier to get excited about the the benefit gained and basically what I was replacing that with on a positive end of the spectrum with regard to eating the whole quality foods that I knew were adding value. Like people that don't have these addictions, they don't have to worry about moderation. They're able to moderate and, and not be an issue. They may be eating some, you know, birthday cake, but I'm, I'm sure in the in the depths of their soul, they don't honestly think that that birthday cake is healthy and adding any inherent benefit to their overall health and well-being. Whereas with me, it's like now that I'm not even having that as an option, 99% of the things that I'm actually consuming are actually improving my health and performance and well-being. And that is an exciting realization. And I know that my quality of relationships has improved because I don't have to think about the superficial stuff that doesn't matter. And when you have that light bulb click, it's like how it's hard to rewind and go back to what you used to think because the overwhelming power of how you think now just is so much more sustainable and you feel right about it. like you don't ever have to have that that lack of self-confidence because you deep down in your soul know that what you're doing is better for not only yourself physically and mentally, but also for the relationships in your life and the people that matter. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I think it's, it's just like you said, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of creating a new normal for yourself. It's like your, what was once your ceiling becomes your new floor and you, you're able to actually be yourself and kind of completely cut out that side of you that you, that really is just so superficially focused. And I think once that side is out, you, you're able to just, you're able to be present more. You're able to, um, you know, like you said, even if you're at a place or at some kind of event where there's cake or something and, you know, rather than fixating on, Oh, I can't have that cake this the whole time, you know, you're, you're just focused on how much more present you can be. And, you know, when I think back, there's never been a point in my life where I've thought, man, that, that would have been so much more enjoyable if I, you know, had had, you know, a few more slices of cake or like yeah. if I had <laughs> yeah. just eaten more, you know, like <laughs> it would have been, uh, that, that's, that's, that's never happened. It's usually like, man, I, <laughs> I feel awful this morning. I wish I hadn't have, you know, eaten all that stuff last night. And, you know, now my next day is affected because of how I ate yesterday. And, you know, it's like the, the, the quote they say, it's like you, you hunger for what you feed on. And it's like, if you are constantly feeding on those things and that's exactly what it is. It's like, if I don't feed on them at all, I don't want them anymore. Um, and I'm able to replace them so much easier, more easily, uh, versus, you know, if I was to go to somewhere and have a piece of cake, I'd be probably fine. Probably put that, you know, have that piece of cake, put it down. But then the next day those thoughts would be coming back again. And it would feel like that other side of me was like that fuse was lit essentially. And it would only be a matter of time before there was like, I don't know, I, I wasn't paying attention or I know for me, a lot of times where I have uh, binge eaten or, or eaten things just unconsciously, it's always when I'm doing something else. Like ironically, it's when I'm listening to a podcast or something like that, because it becomes such an automatic response that 
the second you are not paying 100% attention to it, you just start kind of going at it and it's almost like you're checked out and almost as automatic as brushing your teeth or something like that. Mm -hmm, Definitely. And I feel like in order, I feel like you need to have, like everybody needs to have certain non-negotiables in life. And what those non-negotiables are is going to be very different depending on the individual. And I mean, to, to, for me to reference Jordan Peterson, I'll just go along with your trend here. Um, he talks a lot about order and chaos and how change happens on the fringe and humanity is constantly trying to reach this equilibrium between order and chaos. You know, for me, the it's, it's important to have these non-negotiables within the context of what that order and chaos presents itself as. So, like, using this this conversation as, as an example, you know, a non-negotiable for me would be processed carbohydrates that I know are not adding any inherent benefit to my life or the life of those around me. So I can I can easily have that as a non-negotiable. I don't need it. Now, does that mean that I need to be just super strict and counting every single macro all the time from good, clean, quality, whole sources? No. And here's here's how you here's how I can can justify and make that entire process more sustainable. Because if it's if it's not sustainable, then it's you're going to be much more apt to, to go off the rails and binge and purge and it just becomes a negative feedback loop again. But if you make it sustainable, then it then you're able to obviously sustain it. And, and that compounding effect of sustaining something positive year after year after year is where that's where that's where the magic, quote unquote, is made. And in this realm, you know, order would be defined as tracking everything to the T and having all your macros dialed in, knowing your calorie counts, knowing the macro ratios, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Chaos would be defined as not tracking at all, going through life very willy-nilly with your food and just eating as however you see fit. And for me, it's like, well, wait a minute here. If I really want to make this sustainable, I've got to kind of find that good equilibrium point and go through these various phases depending on where my where my mind is at at the moment, what my goals are at the moment, and for me as a bodybuilder, even if I wasn't stepping on stage as a bodybuilder, I think having a determined building and cutting phase is is key from a psychological standpoint because it allows me to have this period of time where I can be incredibly ordered and strict and really kind of operate on the fringe and optimize at an extreme level for one thing. But then it's it's juxtaposed against this chaos, not necessarily chaos, but you get the concept in which I'm not tracking near as diligently. I'm able to be more loose and more relaxed, still eating the good quality foods that all fall within the realms of what I consider, you know, okay and not a non-negotiable. But having that that difference, that equilibrium point, that yin and that yang makes this entire journey much more sustainable, much more enjoyable. And it allows me to go through life without feeling like I'm sacrificing anything. That is Beautifully put. I love, I love the order and chaos analogy because I think it's also kind of like that, you know, I know you've talked about this before, but the discipline equals freedom mm-hmm. kind of thing where it's, you know, you create, you create rules in order to create more freedom. You know, it's like, there's a reason we have laws. There's a reason like we have, you know, people protecting those laws is so that we can feel a sense of safety and not have to worry about certain things 24 seven but if we didn't have those laws, we wouldn't have that freedom. Mm-hmm. And so I think what I, one of the kind of the biggest epiphanies I've found for myself is that 
for some people, I, I, there's a lot of, of um, push out there right now about like no rules, like no food rules and, you know, nothing is good or bad. And, you know, maybe from a moral level, of course, it's, it's not, <laughs> you're not a bad person for eating any certain food. But I think that rules can be very freeing for certain people. And I think rather than thinking that something is wrong with you for creating these rules for yourself, if you feel free with them, and, you know, maybe there is, maybe there is some, you know, magical technique where you wouldn't have to have those rules. But I think the, even the process of face of fighting those battles to try to find something when you already know that something would be very freeing for you. Um, it kind of just kind of saying that out loud, it almost makes you think, well, you know, I don't, I don't want to fight a battle that I don't need to fight because there are plenty of battles that are worth fighting, uh, that I could be putting my attention to right now. If I was to just, like you said, put that one foot in order and because that one foot is in order, be able to, um, experience and face the chaos of things that are worth dealing with at a much higher level or said another way, like, you know, getting rid of the expedience to embrace the meaning of things. 100% man, very well put. I feel like the people that are advocating for this total lack of rules with regard to nutrition, but I mean, everything that we've said in this podcast can be an analogy for life. So I mean, you kind of take it with what what you will. But I feel like the people saying those things have come from a place on the complete opposite end of the spectrum and the pendulum is in the process of swinging to the other end of the spectrum. And those are the types of people that you see change course like in a 180 degree shift on a pretty regularly occurring basis. And in in my opinion, I look at that and I'm not really impressed by it. Like the whole grass is green on the other side, the shiny objects and I'm like, those are people, I mean, if you look just the, the keto space alone, you see a lot mm-hmm. of people totally changing their tune on thir- on certain things that they've been, you know, planting their flag in the ground on in the past. And that's not to say you shouldn't experiment. I'm very much so, you know, experiment, try different things, see what works for you. I'm all for it. But to see people totally change their stance on, you know, conflicting moral viewpoints or whatever that may be, it's like, I feel like that's more so just the pendulum swinging in the opposite direction. And they don't really have a grasp on what is right for them yet. And that's why I take a lot of pride in the fact that, you know, I've been following this exact protocol now with changes, you know, tweaks and and manipulations with what I'm trying to do. But like as an overarching theme, I've been following the exact same protocol now for the past five or six years. And it's totally sustainable for me. Again, this is all individualized, but the fact that it's worked so well for me leads me to believe that it could very well likely work well for others. And I've just tried to spread that message and share with what I've done because if anybody has gone through the eating disorders that I've gone through and this has worked well for me, it stands to reason that it could very well work well for them. And I feel like that's what my underlying motivation is behind sharing this message. But whenever I'm looking for anybody in life, you know, whenever I'm seeing something that I want to achieve, you don't want to ask people that aren't living what you're wanting to do. Like you, you wouldn't ask a a bum on the side of the street, how to become a multimillionaire businessman. Like you, you probably wouldn't get the best answers. You know, you want to get advice and wisdom from people that are doing what you aspire to be doing, not people that have no context or perception of what it is that you're wanting to do. And, you know, that's going to be different for different people, depending on what their goals and desires in life are. 
but I'm proud to say that I've I've seen so much success doing this the way I've done it, and I'm proud and happy to share that message. And I would just encourage anybody listening to to do the same, whether it's my protocol or anybody else's protocol. Like figure out who's doing something that you aspire to do and has successfully done it for years on end, only getting better with each year that passes, and take notes from them. Man, I, that is spot on. I, and that's one of the reasons that I reached out to you is it wasn't because I thought you had you know the magic trick of eating disorders, but the way that you know I, I can just very genuinely tell that everything you say is extremely honest, and the things that you stand for, the values that you have, the the goals that you've achieved, and the things that you're working towards, like that, just that whole lifestyle. Um, it was something that I really resonated with. It wasn't just one nutrition protocol. It was, it was the person that you are and that you, the way that you ate, you know, was a, was a part of that life, but it wasn't, it wasn't the whole thing and it wasn't a trend. It wasn't a fad. It was something that was authentically part of you as a person. And that is what resonated. And I think, especially with guys, because I think a lot of guys don't talk about this very openly. I think it's very, um, very female heavy um, industry as far as eating disorders go. And I don't think it's that guys don't deal with it. I just think maybe they don't use the same language in speaking about it. But I know for me, it just you as a person, and just like you said, if you know you want to listen to somebody that actually has success in the areas that you're after, or because that speaks so much more than somebody who has the head knowledge to tell you what to do but isn't actually living it themselves. It hasn't actually been through it themselves. Um, so I, yeah, I totally agree. I think that's just, that's huge, man. Just like the setting the example is at least for me resonates more than anything else. Totally agree, man. And I appreciate you noticing that in me. I feel like, you know, being honest is so incredibly important and we live in this weird time in which it's so easy to be dishonest. It's so easy to put on a mask and masquerade around as this person that you're not. And it's it's compelling to do so. Like it, you get this high, like like you do with eating a jar of peanut butter. You get this high <laughs> yeah. by showcasing yourself as someone that you are not, but someone that you know the majority would aspire to be or look up to, especially in the fitness industry. Like it's, it's kind of disgusting and it's unfortunate so I've always just fought like that. Like I feel like the whole fake it till you make it phenomenon disgusts me. Like I, I just, I want to be the best person I can be in the most transparent way possible. And I want to see success doing that because I feel like you can definitely see success doing that. And then the success that you do see is a much more native, organic, true success. And you never have to wear a mask. I mean, if, the, to me, a, a great horror in life, a great fear would be to build up some degree of se- success under a lie and then have to constantly nurture that lie. That would be just the epitome of failure in my mind. No matter how much money is in the bank account, that to me would be failure. So I want to you know, be doing the exact opposite of that. And any degree of success I see, whether that be from a monetary standpoint, from a relationship standpoint, from a whatever standpoint, I want it to be made being 100% completely authentic to who I am as a person and know that the people that I interact with know that about me with absolute certainty. I, I love that. Uh, it's, it's 
it's kind of odd that I feel like, you know, I don't, I don't think everybody's that obviously, but it's just, I feel like we live in a time right now where being honest stands out so much. And that's one of the things just your podcast and everything you stand for. And, you know, the people that I listen to are the people that are very honest about things and they don't sugarcoat it good or bad. And I think that's, that's just as important, whether it's like with an eating disorder or with whatever experience it is, I think there's just, there's some, there's, when you hear truth, you, you know, it, it's, it's almost like it's an, an intuitive thing. And almost in the same way that I would say that, at least for me, when I have found what does work for me with, um, with binge eating and eating disorders and things like that is that you almost in, intuitively know it, um, with the, in the first five seconds of thinking about it, just like when you hear something that's truthful, um, you know, you, you know, it pretty quickly and it really, it resonates at a, at a deeper level. It hits, hits in a more genuine way. Yeah. And I feel like there's a, a, a certain power that comes with, you know, projecting that truth out into the world because we live in a world in which everybody has so much access to one another. So it's like, it's like the, the need to connect with one another becomes much more amplified and that, that has resulted in both positives and negatives. But I feel like it's, it's no longer enough from a self-development standpoint I'm sure there is instances where it has been enough, but I feel like on a whole, it's no longer sufficient to just be, you know, honest with yourself. I feel like your ability to to reach the other side and, and make more progress in life is amplified if you're able to not only have that honesty with yourself, but then to have that honesty and share it with others because you're able to just expedite your own personal growth. I mean, again, going back to Jordan Peterson, he was talking about Carl Jung and how his belief in... Uh, people manifesting themselves in the most positive way to society as a whole is to have complete and utter self-awareness and to know the darkness that you're capable of in order to appreciate and understand and comprehend the positive and the light that you're capable of. And until you know and are familiar with both ends of that spectrum, you can't possibly be the best person that you can be for yourself and for others. And I feel like if you have this darkness in you, but then you're honest about it and not necessarily acting upon it, but at least honest about it to the world, like me being open about the fact that I've struggled with eating disorders or me being open to the fact that anything that I've struggled with in life and and showcasing that to my audience, my followers, my subscribers, whatever, my listeners, my ability to impact them in a positive manner with light also becomes much more amplified. Oh man, yeah, so, so well put. I think the... Yeah, there's. I, I don't think you can truly have full self-awareness without other people being involved. And it's why, again, like I love working together is just because it's it's almost like I'm on the field and you're in the press box. You know, you can see things that I can't and you have experiences that and, and this is part of what I need to continually work to get better at is kind of knowing when to stop the thoughts in my own head or when to just turn them off and just trust the process and know that, you know, sometimes it's easier to act yourself into thinking instead of trying to think yourself into acting. And yeah, I just the, the human connection aspect in any, any aspect of my, my life has always been, it's always been probably the most valued thing I've had 
is community. And I think even like this, these past, this past year where I haven't had as much face-to-face interaction with people, it's it definitely, uh, definitely noticed that difference. And just when you don't have something, it you really realize how much you, you need it and how much you appreciate it. Um, and there's just something that even online you can't get uh, that's the same as that face-to-face connection where you can grow personally by being around other people and help those people grow by being around them. Totally, man. That's why I was so stoked to get you on the podcast because even though it's just you and me talking here, we're not really getting any feedback from anybody listening. The fact that you know that what you've said is now in the ears of so many people, that for whatever reason can be very liberating. And I feel like, you know, having that sense of community is amplified knowing that the thoughts that are going through your head, the struggles that you're dealing with on a regular basis, other people that are going through it can, can relate with that for one, but then also that people that are not struggling with that can kind of, you know, subconsciously hold you accountable in your own mind simply because you know that other people know. And even if they never reach out and talk to you, just simply knowing that other people have heard the words that you said today, I think that could be very, very empowering for you and not, you know, going off course in the future. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think that accountability is huge. And I, I like to be open about these things and not at all for, you know, trying to get any kind of sympathy or, or anything like that. I think, <laughs> I think there's like, we were talking about the pendulum earlier. I think there's that pendulum of um, swinging all the way to where it's like vul- people like to be vulnerable just to maybe garner attention. Um, and that is definitely not my intent whatsoever, but it's just simply to, you know, hopefully resonate with other guys out there, especially that maybe have dealt with this. And I never take a stance of being powerless or of being the victim or anything like that. I think we all have, we all have our own demons. And just like you were talking about, we all have our own dark sides that we have to deal with. And, but we do have the power to deal with them and to take that responsibility. And I think for me, the act of taking responsibility in that area and owning up to it is it's, it's a foundation for being able to take responsibility in any other area. Because I think the, when you take your, your greatest struggle and make it your greatest victory, I think that really shines a light on all the other areas that maybe you didn't have confidence in before. And it kind of helps bolster that confidence for those bigger things. hundred percent, man. Any, any lesson that you learn with any aspect of your life, whether it's, you know, eating or training or business, career, relationships, they all, they all build the whole and the whole being you as a person. So anything that you struggle with or succeed in, in this is going to have a, you know, corresponding impact on every other aspect of your life. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be working with you, man. I'm excited. I'm proud to be working with you. I'm honored to have you on the podcast and have a, a friendship with you, man, because you, you make me a better person and I'm, I appreciate I appreciate what you've brought into my life as well. I really appreciate it, Robert. And it's, it's been, it's, it's definitely an honor to be on this podcast and it's, it's an honor to work with you. And like I said, there's, there's something beyond just a coaching relationship that I just, I have so much respect for you and the, the things that you stand for and just hearing the way that you talk to other people and the, the way that you impact other people. I think I, I've, I've heard it said that the impact you have on other people is typically the way they talk about you when you're not in the room. And it's just, it's very cool to hear the other things that people say about you, the way that you've impacted them. Um, you know, just that you're the same person 
on camera, so to speak, and off camera. And so, and, and I can attest to that even through our coaching relationship so far. So I really appreciate it. And I appreciate the example that you set for so many people. Well, thanks a million, man. I, I definitely don't do anything that I do to, you know, gain any notoriety by any means, but it means the world to me to, to know that what I'm spending my life doing is having a positive impact. And just to be able to have that communication with you and others, it, it makes me feel very, very fortunate, very blessed. And I'm just very appreciative to to you for even wanting to jump on the podcast for anybody listening to the podcast right now, for anybody that's, you know, tuned in at any point in their life, anybody that's bought a brick, anybody that's done anything. I mean, just simply giving me the time of day to listen to what I have to say, that means more than than any monetary exchange by any stretch of the imagination. So thank you for jumping on the podcast and thank you for everyone listening. I appreciate you. I freaking love you. Where can people go to find out more about you, man? I, I uh, did not ask that. Um, so I'm kind of on all the social media platforms, but, um, my Instagram is Seth A. Barner. It's B-A-R-N-E-R. Um, and I didn't even get a chance to, uh, to shout out to the keto bricks because <laughs> that's been a huge, um, it's like a daily, it's my daily meal, uh, the first meal of the day every day. And I, I freaking love those things. It's, uh, it's, it fills a need that, um, it just makes, I don't know, it makes things a lot easier. And I, I know you didn't like tell me to say anything about them, but um, it's just, I, I, we worked with the coach relationship so much. I forget to shout out to the, the even bigger, <laughs> bigger enterprise you have going on. So well, I, I appreciate thank, it, for that as well. Yeah, I appreciate that. I've actually got, it's funny you started off this whole discussion about, uh, we're still recording by the way, um, okay. about uh, peanut butter. Because I feel like, you know, if there's a gateway drug to eating disorders, it's peanut butter. I feel like everybody <laughs> starts off with peanut butter. I've got horror stories of just going through a whole tub of jiffy peanut butter. And another one of my clients has, has struggled with eating disorders, and she would just down the nut butters, whether that was peanut butter, the almond butter, whatever. But she started eating the bricks, and for whatever reason, that was able to scratch that craving for the nut butter, but not cause her to totally go off course and and eats the nut butters, you know, in excess. Yeah, that's that's the crazy thing. And I think that's what's so amazing to me about them is, and maybe it's just because of the the high fats and how filling they are, but I don't, they don't trigger cravings for me. Uh, and maybe it's like the, the salt added to it too. I, I don't know, but yeah, it's just, it's very, it's very satisfying. Whereas like most processed foods or keto treats, so to speak, they're there's like zero nutrition in them. And so you, there, there's no satiety factor whatsoever. So yeah, I'm thankful I can eat the, the peanut butter brick. Well, I've got a couple of new flavors in the works. I'm going to send you one, man. Get, get some, get some feedback from you. All about that. All about that. Well, Seth, one more time. What, what was the Instagram? I want to make sure I get that right. Yeah. It's uh Seth a Barner. There's no, um, no dashes or anything like that. Perfect. Perfect. I'll certainly link out to that. And I just wanted to, finish this off with one more you know token of my appreciation man I, I thank you for taking the time to jump on here and i i enjoy working with you if there's everything i can do for you man just let me know i really appreciate it robert my pleasure a thousand percent take care brother all right later